Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. That's Rabbi Matthew Leibel of Winnipeg's Sharet Tzedek Synagogue, leading Friday evening services live on Facebook for one of the last times. At the end of June, Leibel is stepping down. His departure came as a surprise. At least that's how the president of the Winnipeg Synagogue put it when the announcement was made public after Passover. Leibel had been one of the co-rabbis there for four years, since 2017, and had served before that for many years in other roles. Leibel is one of at least six Canadian conservative and orthodox rabbis who are leaving their positions this summer. A change in clergy is a big adjustment for a congregation, no matter whether the rabbi was let go or retired or they moved on to bigger opportunities, or they were lost to illness, as it happened in my congregation, Beit Reim, three years ago this month, when Rabbi Chazi Zions of Toronto died after a serious heart problem. So what should you know about the whole changing rabbis process? The veteran Canadian rabbi who used to run the matching system between rabbis and synagogues for the conservative Jewish community in North America says it's a lot like dating, and it's been really hard this year. We have the expression that there are two types of departures. There are rabbis who went away looking for something uh, something better for their families. Uh, and then there are rabbis who are sent away. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Thursday, June 17th, 2021. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. I'm actually not sure if anyone except the Canadian Jewish News follows the movement of rabbis in and out of Canadian synagogues all that closely. If this was a sports draft, there might even be a network special on TSN for the June 30th rabbi trade deadline. But all kidding aside, there is a lot of toing and froing going on right now for pulpits in many major Canadian centres. Contracts usually start around now. Some rabbis are going on to other opportunities. Some are retiring, like Rabbi Philip Scheim of Toronto's Beth David. Others, like Rabbi Aubrey Glazer of Montreal's Shara Zion Synagogue, found themselves out of work as of June 30th after just three years. But he's set to fly to Hawaii next week, now that the pandemic restrictions are easing, to interview for an in-person job with the congregation of Beit Shalom, the Jewish congregation of Maui. Glazer's farewell Zoom with his synagogue is set for next Wednesday. Coming up, we'll hear from Rabbi Lionel Moses. He oversaw the rabbi search department for the North American conservative movement, and he'll give us an insider's look. But first, here's what's making news in Canada right now. A retired Canadian Jewish general says weeding out anti-Semitism is definitely part of the mandate of a special panel examining systemic racism inside the Canadian Armed Forces. Ed Fitch of Victoria, B.C. is one of four members of the panel, It was created six months ago to tackle problems of how neo-Nazis were slipping through in the recruiting process, as well as to make recommendations about how to block candidates who are racist from joining up. The mandate came under attack recently because the word anti-Semitism was not specifically in the title, while anti-Black, anti-Indigenous and LGBTQ2 and gender were. But Fitch tells the CJN he's got it covered, and they're looking at other isms that aren't in the title either. The panel is set to issue an interim report at the end of the month. In Ottawa, the Jewish Federation has a new leader. Ian Sherman is being installed as chair. The changeover was announced Wednesday during the annual meeting. He takes the reins from Michael Pollowin. Sherman is an Ottawa accountant. He also chairs the city's Board of Trade. The Rabbinical Assembly has a job board for conservative rabbis, plus an e-placement portal for congregations looking to find one. Both sides are supposed to use it, 
and synagogues aren't supposed to approach rabbis independently and recruit them. Rabbi Lionel Moses was in charge of this system. He was also senior rabbi at Montreal's Shara Zion for 23 years until he retired, and Rabbi Glazer took over. Rabbi Moses joins me now from California, where he's actually filling in these past few months for a synagogue that is looking for a full-time rabbi. So why do rabbis and congregations part ways, and usually around this time of year? Congregations move um, because rabbis and congregations um, see things differently. We have the expression that there are two types of departures. The rabbis who went away looking for something, uh, something better for their families. Uh, and then there are rabbis who are sent away. Um, <laughs> those, you know, that's, uh, uh, those are the less happy circumstances where a rabbi and a congregation are just not getting along. Every other day you hear of another Canadian rabbi leaving and it, nobody, like it's a scoop. I think probably the surprise was probably Yossi uh, Saperman because um, talk about beloved, um, he was the guru of the 40-somethings who lived south of uh, Steeles. But that's an unusual number of Canadian synagogues. I think what is really unusual in Canada in particular is that rabbis in Canada tend to be there for a lifetime. You know, I think Rabbi, I think Rabbi Shield holds the record at 70, no, more, yeah, 70, almost 75 That's years. That's very interesting that rabbis in Canada tend to stay for life. So this summer is significant because we've seen like maybe five already this year. At right. least. So normally in a year, the average year, how many rabbis move from Canada back and forth or to the States or wherever they go or leave? The, the movement is mostly within the United States because there are obviously more, more positions in the United States. In the conservative movement in a typical year, anywhere from, from 65 to 90 uh, colleagues will take new jobs. Um, um, I would say 75 is typical. I think this year I, I have not seen all of the stats. I haven't seen any of the stats, but I think it's probably somewhere in the 40s uh, as opposed to even the 60s, let alone the 70s or 80s. Um, rabbis were reluctant to give up a position when they didn't know where they were going. Too hard to interview on these under these circumstances. I suspect next year there may be more rabbis moving. Now, from the congregation's point of view, we find out, people find out, those shulgoers, you get an announcement unless you hear gossip, right? Right. And it's traumatic or it's a relief or there's all kinds of uh, reactions <laughs> from people, but mostly it's a shock especially if the rabbi is, is well-liked. You know, what, sure. what, do you, what do you say to congregations about rabbis leaving? What does it do to them? You've, uh, you've hit it right on the, on the head. Um, for some congregations, um, they are angry because their beloved rabbi of 15 years, um, who is in small-town Canada, has decided to move with his family to larger city Canada. And the congregation has loved this rabbi. He has, or she has served the congregation exceedingly well. And the congregation goes through a period of mourning, uh, the same as when a close relative dies. In those congregations, um, we have a director of placement. Uh, all of the movements do, conservative reform and orthodox. 
And one of the recommendations um, is that uh, the congregation look for an interim rabbi. Um, the interim rabbi's task is to help the congregation deal with loss. Let's go talk about the timeline just to make sure I understand. So usually rabbis, um, they they leave or they get, as you said, leave or, or pushed out between October and December, right after Rosh Hashanah. And then they start looking. Is there an actual interview window and then a moving window? Usually that's, I mean, besides COVID, right? Normally. Yep. And then when is it all supposed to be done? Contract signed. Rabbi's contracts usually end the 30th of June. So a rabbi will give notice or he's given notice in October, November, December. Um, and after that point, the, at that point, the rabbi is able, at least in the conservative movement, once um, he, has give, he or she has given notice or is given notice, they can then apply through the rabbinical assembly to any of the congregations for which their experience is eligible. There is a, a, a grading of size of congregations depending on experience. The, um, the rest, then it becomes fairly mechanized. Uh, you submit your, uh, your resume, it, um, it is approved, you are a member in good standing of the rabbinical assembly, you meet the uh, experience qualifications for the congregations that you are applying to, and then your resume just goes out automatically. And then uh, the, the committee will look at the resume. They have, let's say, three serious candidates, They've interviewed um, by phone or on Zoom now, uh, all of those three serious candidates, and then they decide they wanna bring all of them out to the congregation. So that uh, period starts usually, um, usually beginning of January, sometimes the end of December, and then they start bringing candidates out uh, mid-January through the end of February, early March, and congregations usually like to make their decision um, and offer a position to a candidate um, by Passover. Uh, contracts are typically negotiated and signed over a six to four to six week period. Um, and um, everything is signed, sealed and delivered typically by mid-June at the latest. We're right in signing signing season right now. We're in sign if if it hasn't happened, it's happening now. They want the rabbi to have moved in, settled, have his family settled, et cetera, et cetera, and have time to get oriented and be ready for the high holidays. How has the COVID pandemic influenced, if at all, or impacted the usual annual leavings and goings? I can tell you in the conservative movement, I think the number of rabbis this year who are leaving of their own free will, searching for a new job to increase, you know, to um, attain a, a more prestigious uh, congregation is probably fewer than in typical years. Um, the conservative movement um, uh, had a fatwa, uh, I don't know the English word for fatwa, um, a decree. Uh, the rabbis were not permitted to interview in person until after April 1st, um, which really meant that rabbis were doing what we're doing and they were interviewing online. And then, uh, you know, a Zoom interview is not the same. And of course, when a, when a rabbi interviews, 
it's not simply a, a conversation with a with the board with a select committee. But usually, the under normal circumstances, non-COVID, um, if the committee likes the rabbi um, in a phone conversation, they will invite the rabbi to come visit the congregation and spend four or five days. Um, so I know this year our process was a, a stretched out process of several nights when the one night the, the rabbi met with the young adults group, one with the sisterhood. Um, Friday night, he did a service online, Shabbat morning, a service on, uh, on Zoom. Um, some synagogues didn't don't use Zoom on Shabbat, meaning that the rabbi really had no way of, quote, performing and showing his or her stuff. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia, integrity, community, quality, and customer care. If you want to get the podcast sent directly to you in your email so you can click on it and listen that way, just sign up for the free CJN newsletter. It comes out four times a week, right into your inbox, and you can catch up on all the episodes. The link to sign up is in our show notes. We'll be back on Monday, and Monday is National Indigenous Peoples Day, June 21st. We've got an amazing interview for you with a Jewish-Canadian artist who has painted 18 portraits, nine of Indian residential school survivors and nine of Holocaust survivors. And she's taking her show on the road to foster understanding of what both cultures experienced. Duncan Campbell Scott, who set up, was sort of intrinsic in setting up the first residential schools, called it the final solution. And I, like, I almost fell off my chair when I heard that because this is long before Hitler ever used that expression for the Jewish problem. So as a white settler in this part of the country, I thought, you know, it really makes sense to me to connect these two groups of people.